Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. Happy summer. Everybody enjoying the humidity? Feels so good, don't you walk outside and you're like, why don't I even shower? Why don't I bother? Um, today we're going to be continuing uh, what Gerald uh, picked up or started last week, uh, talking about uh, or looking at this encounter of Jesus and the Samaritan woman uh, that he meets at um, the well. And last week Gerald talked about uh, we always go looking uh, in the wrong wells. And if you were here, John enjoyed Gerald, right? He was awesome. I love Gerald, man. So great. Um, I was so grateful he has two twins, like 16 month old and a newborn. I was like, man, thank you for being here. And um, so he talked about going the wrong wells. And this, this morning, I want to take a little bit different uh, angle on what he started last week. Now, many of you know, uh, if you've been around a long time, um, I'm not a very good looker. So like if my wife says, hey, go look and see if we have, name the ingredient, you know, black beans or you know, sugar, whatever. If I go look in the cabinet and I don't see it like in three seconds, I say, well, we don't have any. And then she always goes and she looks and she finds it. And she's like, you're such a terrible looker. I'm like, I am a terrible looker and I've been a terrible looker. And I don't know why you keep thinking I'm not gonna be a terrible looker, but this is what happens every time. So we have this, this, this kind of dynamic between us. But one of the things that my job is, whenever she'll start planning meals or whatever, is she'll make a grocery list and she'll send me to the grocery store. And I actually like the grocery store, especially when I know where things are. And because it just feels good to like do something productive because so much of my life is chaos. Like the grocery store is like, okay, I can go and get stuff and you know where things are. And I go to one particular grocery store because I don't, and I don't, I don't go anywhere else because I know where everything is in this grocery store. So one day we're making, uh, we were making something and she wanted to make some Caesar salad and she makes a Caesar salad dressing that's really good. And so she gets the list and I get, and I get to the store, get all the store, I'm looking through it and go, romaine lettuce, I know exactly what it is, it's in the thing. You go grab it, go through the thing and then it's like anchovy paste. I'm like, I don't even know what anchovy paste is, let alone where to find it. And what do I do? You just start looking. Do you do this? You just start looking. I'm just going up and down every aisle, hoping that maybe it'll just jump out at me or there'll be like a sign. I'm looking on the signs, like, you know, I see like baking stuff. Sugar. Oh, anchovy paste there. It's like, it's nowhere to be found. And so I'm walking around. I don't know if it's in a box. I don't know if it's in a tube. I don't know if it's in a bag. I don't know what it is, but I just walk around for I don't know how long looking for this thing. I have no idea. It's like, it's a fish. Is it in the, is it in the fish aisle? Is it, I don't, I have no, I still don't even know where the aisle it's in. We have to buy it like every couple months. I still have no idea where the aisle it's in. So I have to call and ask Julie every single time. But it's really interesting because we will go off searching for something without actually having any idea of what we're looking for. All right, I think a lot of us do this. The wrong wells are a symptom of something. It's a symptom of we're looking for something that we're not really sure what it looks like or we hope that we'll know it when we see it and we find it, but we're just kind of walking through, hoping that it jumps out at us, hoping that we accidentally stumble upon it or discover it or something miraculous happens. And what I think this is, this is really our longing at its core, a longing for life to be alive. And what I want you to understand is what a lot of us, and you know this to be true, I, I believe most of you know this to be true, but then when it comes to this idea of looking for things, of seeking things, searching for things, what you need to understand is you will likely find exactly 
what you were looking for. When you start to look for something and you sort of get obsessed with it, you're, you're likely going to, going to see that in everything because it sort of becomes our default view of the world around us. And so when we, when we project this on the fact that we really don't know what we're looking for, so we start to settle for all these. And, and again, there's, there's no shortage of imagery that's given to us about what will finally satisfy you, what will finally do it for you. For some of you, it's been a chase for some job or career or sense of, of contribution to the world around you. For some of you, it's, it's a relationship. For some of you, it's status. For some of you, it's proving that you're gonna be successful. For some of you, it's, it's, it's athletic prowess. It's a whole lot of things. And what happens is you start chasing these things and we, we have this, this default, you know, psychologists and sociologists, they call it confirmation bias, that you will tend to see what it is that you already believe or what you are looking for. And so Jesus comes along with this really interesting, when he says kind of above everything else, when he talks about the anxieties of our heart, when he talks about the fears we face in this world, he says this command. He says, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Don't worry about chasing all the things that the world chases after. Your Father in heaven knows that you are what you already need. You know what he says next? He says, to seek first the kingdom of God. To seek first the kingdom of God. I think the reason he's doing this is not because if we put all this up front, if we sort of prioritize him, then we'll have everything else that we want. I think it's because there's such a pervasiveness to what God is actually doing in the world and around us all the time that most of the problem isn't that he's not doing something, it's that we don't have eyes to see it. And so this is what I want us to get. I want us to try to, try to, try to push on this and understand what we can do about this because this all has to do with what we're talking about. When we go into the look for anchovy paste, we sort of go, oh, I found it. And we grab it and we check it off of our list. And a lot of us pursue or seek God that way. Like he's some product. If we get this, we can just add it to our bucket. Then we can keep doing what we want to do. I'm not searching for a product. We're searching for a way. A way in which we can live and sustain and feel and come alive. A way in which we become full and free and able to give of ourselves. We were just talking about this Carson, uh, my son-in-law, he's one of our staff members here. We do a, a podcast and we just talked about this last, uh, a couple weeks ago, or last week, it went out last week. But there are a lot of people, especially if you guys who are like in high school, college, and you're like, oh my gosh, the most important thing you can do is pick the right major because Lord knows if you pick the wrong major, your life is over. And so what we end up doing is we obsess. And some of you are older, right? You, you obsess over what you're supposed to do, what your purpose in life is. And it just builds pressure and pressure and pressure and pressure and pressure. And I, I, the more I've seen this, the more I've, I've looked around, the more I've talked to people, I do not believe that you will find your purpose by obsessing over what your purpose is by worrying about whether or not you're gonna find it or not. You, you find your purpose, if you really wanna know how you find your purpose, you find your purpose by giving your life away. If you arrange your life to give your life away, you will find what you are built for. There's some really simple questions. You know, how can I work for the good of those around me? How can I contribute to the world around me? How can I nourish people? How can I refresh people? How can I benefit others? These are not the first questions that we ask. We're usually obsessed with how can I do? How can I get? How can I find? And I think this just puts us on a trajectory that just puts this further and further and further and further away. So I want to look at this idea, these encounters, what Jesus had. We talked about Nicodemus for three weeks and then uh, the woman at the well, these two. And what's interesting about both of these encounters is that Jesus met them both right where they are. And I think that's something that each of us need to kind of 
take a breath and breathe it in, that Jesus will meet you today right where you are. Whether you're like the most seasoned, you know, uh, religious person, you know all the answers, or whether you're here and you think you're just, you know, kind of um, don't belong. He's gonna meet you right where you are, wherever you are in between those two spectrums. And so that's what I want for us to kind of breathe in, to think about, to consider, and then move in this together. A couple of things we've been talking about when we started this is that Jesus said some things uh, and we were introduced to some topics that if you have been here for the last five weeks, you know this. If not, you might wanna, uh, those messages are available, but you've probably heard these before. Um, we heard phrases like born again. We've been writing it like this, born anathen, which is to be born from above or again or over. And so that was sort of phrase number one. Jesus said it to Nicodemus. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see what? Anybody remember? The kingdom of God. Yes. I don't know who that was over there. Yes. You cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in his own uh, monologue after that, he gets to the very end of this and he says, oh, the son of man will be lifted up and all who believe on him will have eternal life. And so he starts to connect these, these ideas together. And what I've been drilling and trying to help us understand is that eternal life is not something that happens to us when we die. Most of us, most of us, if you grew up in the church or you grew up seeing TV preaching or whatever it was that your particular perspective is, you have grown up just hearing the gospel presented as you need to get born again so that you can get a ticket to get into this place and then experience this place forever, almost always presented as after you die. It's almost always presented that way. I wanna read you what Jesus said, what he modeled, and then how this was recorded for us. John, who we're looking at in John, uh, the, the, the encounter of Jesus and the woman at the well. So we're gonna find that in John chapter four. But John wrote a letter later on in his life, a series of letters. They're in the very back of your Bible, first John, second John, third John. He begins his first letter almost the same way he begins his gospel uh, that we'll be looking at in a minute. And this is what it reads in first John chapter one, verses one through three. He says, that which was from the beginning, this is just classic John writing. That which was from the beginning, we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, let me, let me pause right there. He's basically saying, we've seen all this. We've heard this. We've experienced this, this, this life. And it's concerning, he calls it the word of life, the logos. The logos of Zoe would be the way it would, the, the embodiment of uncreated life. It's not talking about your Bible here. I know people go, oh my gosh, Mike is like, he has lost his mind. He, he is not talking about all the pages in your book. He's talking about the life that was given to us and demonstrated for us that is life from God and life with God. He says, we have seen this with our eyes. We have heard this with our ears and we're trying to communicate that to you concerning this, the embodiment of all the life of God entails. Does that make sense? We have words in English that just don't quite do what is really being said. And then verse two, it says this, this life or the life was made manifest. 
did a whole thing on what Life Made Manifest looks like. It's Bob Ross, and you can go look at that later on. Happy trees. Bob Ross paints in such a way that not only makes you think you can paint, but he makes you want to paint, to participate, right? That's what manifest is. To be made manifest means to make something so seeable that you actually believe that you can participate in it. So this life was made manifest. That's what he says. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you, and here it is, proclaimed to you what? Say it out loud. Eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. How? In Christ Jesus. Verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may also have fellowship with us, but make no mistake about it, for indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if I'm studying this, I notice, y'all have heard of the Trinity, right? It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and one of them is missing. Did y'all notice that? So you just, you just kind of mark it down. Whoa, does John not believe in the Holy Spirit? Just mark it down. So when Jesus himself is describing eternal life, he's praying for us, praying for all those who will follow him. This is found in John chapter 17, verse two. And he says, and he's speaking to his father, since you, God, has given, have given him me, have given Jesus your son, since the father has given the son authority over all flesh, he has given him authority to do what? To give to extend, to offer, here's that word again, eternal life to all to whom you have given him. And then here he is, defines it very clearly. And this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Nowhere, and this, this is throughout the Bible. Nowhere does it say anything about what happens to you after you die. Eternal life has some connection to this being in relationship, to knowing someone. That we want that, that whoever, whoever knows God, whoever knows him. And then it also has this idea that there's some sort of relational experience that we want you to have this fellowship with us. This is eternal life, that we experience this thing together. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but you, I want you to see this because I want us to get a different picture in our head. When we start thinking about what we're going to do, how we're gonna draw life, how we're gonna actually live this life here and now in this place. We're gonna spend some time in the next few weeks on this idea, but how we can experience this now. Jesus would go on, he says, well, so how do you get this? John chapter three, for the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. The Father loves the Son, and all authority has been given into his hands. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And you've heard this before. So a couple of big ideas, I'm gonna put this up, and then we'll actually get to the woman at the well. But the first big idea is this, that eternal life is the available experience of life with God. And it begins now. I grew up thinking that the length was like a reward, right? If you receive Jesus, you get to sing Amazing Grace for 10,000 years. And for some reason, people thought that sounded appealing. Was I the only one who thought, I don't know if I can take that. 
But literally, that's how it's presented. The, the, and what I've learned is that the length of this eternal life is not like some reward. It's because it's God's nature. God doesn't have any other life. Life always flows out of him. There is no death. That means it goes on and on and on and on and on. It's just a reality of what life with God is. It's what you and I are designed for and built for. Therefore, being born again is not a ticket that you get in order to get something when you die, but rather it is a way of life that results from you and I learning how to draw life from him here. And now it's an available experience. And big idea number, big idea number two is that eternal life begins when you are born again. It just makes sense. If your life begins when you're born, which we all know it does, then your eternal life begins when you are born again. And we're going to look at this a little bit more again in a little bit more um, detail. The question I got, I want to, this is an aside, but a lot of people ask me, Mike, do you believe that being born again is a moment in time? Because some of you are like, ah, I don't know. The answer is, the simple answer is, yes, I do. Yes. There is a moment in time, there is a place, a point in, in this real world where we acknowledge or yield or say to Jesus, yes. We receive, we trust, we get life from him. And it is some particular moment in time. And the reason I sort of bank on that is because I think the metaphor that Jesus uses is actually really important. You must be born again. And what you know is that your life began at a certain point in time. I was born at 1.11 a.m. on October 14th, 1970. That's when my life began. That's, that's as far as I know. And while that's a really important part of the process, a moment in time that I celebrate, it marks when I came into the world. It marks a point in time when I came into the world. But the reality is the thing that brought me to that point actually began a little while before that. You know this, right? If you talk to my parents, like that wasn't the beginning of that journey. There was a lot of pain and anguish and difficulty and wackiness all the way up until I got to be here. There's a process behind the scenes that though it happened to me, I was unaware of. And I think that's a great way for us that God is working. He's drawing you. Sometimes it takes you nine months. Sometimes it takes you 15 years. But he's drawing. He's calling. And there's a point in time we say yes. And so for some, and I've talked to people like this. They make a sort of a, what would be known as a profession of faith or a confession of faith or a yes to Jesus. But what had happened maybe prior to that was already that redemptive work beginning and we just don't know. So the, the moments in time are for us, I believe. And if you're here and you've never like sealed it or said yes or whatever, what I tell people, they say, Mike, I've, I've received Jesus today. I've trusted Christ today. I said, go write it in your journal and put the date on it. Why? Not because it's like magical date, because whether it happened at the beginning of the service, at the end of the service, or the morning when they, uh, when they got here or at a conversation after the fact, I don't really know. But I want them to have a moment in time because when you start questioning and wondering, you can look up and say, I meant this at this moment in time. And I think that was enough. So yes, we all need a moment in time. We all need a moment in time. Otherwise, you're going to ask Jesus in your heart like every 20 seconds. And that's no fun. I've done that. So now we get to the well. We get to the well trying to decide how much time I have, how far I want to go. So the interesting thing about this 
As Jesus meets this woman at the well, she's a Samaritan woman, which we learned last week from, Jer- uh, from Gerald. She's a Samaritan woman, and Jews and Samaritans did not talk to one another. There's a massive racial divide and racial tension, lots of reasons for that. Um, this woman was also had a pretty well-known reputation and not a good one. And so she comes to the well in the afternoon when she was least likely to see someone. The way this story is recorded for us, interestingly enough, is this is not the only well story in the Bible. In fact, if you were a Jewish person, you would have known really famous well stories. Jacob and Rachel and Isaac. Sorry, uh, yes, uh, Jacob and Rachel and Isaac. Uh, the, the, the Israel found, like the, the, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they found their spouses at a well. They met at a well on a journey, saw a female and said, would you give me a drink? And this leads to an exchange and then ultimately to a marriage. So you could almost feel the scandal of Jesus meeting this woman at the well. The way John records this, Jesus meets this woman at the well. Everybody's going, woo, we know what's gonna happen next. It's like a love story, like unfolding. Except just, just like Jesus, just like the way this is presented to us, there's all these classic twists and turns that lead us to see something beyond what we would normally look for. So this is how it unfolds. Jesus meets this woman. He says, can I have a drink? Which is not a, can I have a drink? And she says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me? And then this is what uh, unfolds. I want to focus on this one little part. John chapter four, verse 10. And Jesus answered her and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He would have given you living water. Now, in that moment, let's just stop here. Do you believe that living water, like is Jesus talking about literal something or is he using a metaphor? It's okay, because people ask us, Mike, do you take the Bible literally? I'm like, if you ask that question, you don't actually understand what the Bible is. You don't. Jesus says, if you would have asked me, I would have given you a drink and I would have given you living water. I would have given you living water. I mean, we, we use this all the time. My kids say something like this. This is literally the best. And they don't mean it's literally or it's the best because literally the best would mean it's the best. But they said about everything. They don't mean it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a metaphor to say this is really, really good. So Jesus is using language. He's using pictures. He's helping us see some things. He did the same thing with Nicodemus. Unless you were born again and Nicodemus says, are you being literal here? Don't you mean crawl back up into my mom? And she's like, no. And so it's the same thing here, living water. If you would have known who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given you living water. Do you think it would be a stretch for us to say that the living water that Jesus is offering could be the life that he gives to us? Would that be a stretch? I think we could go, yes, that's it. So this is is where we're going. So if you ask who to give you living water and then the woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. See, she's like, okay, this is this literal thing we're playing and the well is deep. Where is it you're gonna get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who was at this very well, it's where he met his wife. He gave us this well and he drank for himself as did his sons and livestock. And she is connecting herself to a way of life. I don't have time to get into all that. It's incredibly rich. 
Verse 13, Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water, and this is what Gerald talked about last week, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. In fact, look at this. The water that I will give to him or her will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. This is an incredible picture for us. When we think about drinking from the wrong wells, we're like this. And this we need to understand, a lot of us chase things and we chase things and we chase things. And we get, we, we, we get ourselves into all sorts of things and we absorb all kinds of things and it comes in us and it comes out of us and it comes in us and it comes out of us and it comes in us and it comes out of us. Whatever it is that you are full of is what will overflow from your life. And for some of you, that's really bad news. Your, what, whatever comes out of you is an overflow of what it is that you are full of. What is it that you are seeing? What is it you are drawing life from? What is it you are pursuing? What is it you are chasing? This is encounter, formation, expression. What is it that is, that is affecting you? Because whatever it is, it's going to come out. It's gonna come out in frustration. It's gonna come out in egotism. It's gonna come out in all sorts of ways. Where are you going to draw life? If whoever drinks from these wells will constantly be chasing thing to thing to thing to thing, right? That's, that's what he's saying. So he's inviting her to do something. It's what, it's, it's what he says. He says, because whoever drinks out of this other well, right? Whoever drinks out of this other well, out of them is gonna come something else. It's gonna flow rivers, springs of this living water. Whatever you draw life from is what is going to come out of you. Whatever you drink from most consistently is what is gonna mark the expression of your life. That, that's what he's driving. I think this is an incredible picture. Jesus would echo this just a few chapters later in the book of John when he says this. He comes in on the last day of this big feast and all these people are in, in Israel. This is kind of the beginning of the end of his life, uh, this last little run. And Jesus comes out, he's at this festival, and he makes this statement. He had, he had kind of come under, in under the radar because they wanted to make a public appearance, and he wouldn't do it. And so he shows up in this moment. In John chapter 7, verse 37, this is what he says. On the last day of the feast, the great day, when it was the, you know, most people were around, it was sort of the most available, Jesus stands up and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Again, is this literal or is this a metaphor? It's a picture. Let him, whoever, whoever is thirsty, whoever is searching for stuff, whoever's trying to get their fill from everything else, he says, I want you to forget that and I want you to come to me and I want you to immerse yourself in this well of living water. That's the picture. I told him I need some lotion up here. I got really dry skin. It's like, ah. So he says, and then he just goes on, he adds this to it, right? He adds this to it. He says, um, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being, out of his heart, will flow rivers, and here's that word again, of living water. Whoever believes in me, out of that person, out of that vessel, will flow 
the life of God. Now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. That's a whole other message. But he basically said it was, the spirit wasn't here yet. And what was gonna happen is when we would receive him after his crucifixion and resurrection, we would receive his life into us and out of our lives would flow his life. That's the picture he's given us. And he just connects us as the scripture has said. And here's just a few more I think you'll be alluding to. Isaiah 12, with joy, you draw water from the wells of salvation. That's a picture that's given to us in the old covenant. The wells of salvation, we draw joy. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters and the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook that the things that we say to one another. Ezekiel 47 is this picture of, of, the, of the temple and the water flowing from underneath the throne and it forms a river and this river nourishes and brings life to everything that it touches. This river, the psalmist would record it like this, there is a river whose streams make glad city of God. What he's talking about is there's a way for you and I to live by which we bring life and nourishment and source to everyone around us. That it just flows and it flows and it flows and it flows out of you as you drink, as you drink. And this is really the key. This is really where I think we've got to figure out how to do this. And I don't have a ton of time, but essentially what he mentions, what we see is a couple of things. That what I think he's talking about when he says that this idea of the water and the spirit, he makes this connection, that we are born of the spirit and of water. He makes that connection. We talked about that in John 3. He makes that connection, that it nourishes us, that the spirit of God, that what this gospel does for us is it brings nourishment to our thirstiness. It brings a depth to us. It brings a peace to us. There's things that it does. It, it, it cleanses us. It purifies us. And he talked to the spirit will be poured out to hydrate, to nourish, to cleanse. He fills us and our lives are being marked by our responsiveness to him. How sensitive are you to him and his work in your life day in and day out? Seek first this way of life. That's what Jesus is saying. And specifically, what I'm, what I'm driving at is for you and I to be sensitive or aware to the formative work that he's doing in our hearts. Not just are you keeping his instructions, but are you living out his intentions? That's a different way. A lot of you have just, you have grinned and bear it for so long trying to choke yourself to keep in. And he says, no, no, this life, when you begin to understand this, this life flows out of you. This life flows out of you. And the invitation is really simple. And he says it like this. He says, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever receives has eternal life. And what he's talking about is he talking about this idea that we, it's not just to believe like intellectually assent, I remember years ago, my daughter, uh, we were, she was her first roller coaster. And we're, riding, we're, on, we're in line for the rock and roller coaster at MGM Studios. This is one of this is, shoots you out like 60 miles an hour, so fun. She's never in a roller coaster before. And she's like terrified of going upside down. I said, well, it only goes upside down a little bit, you'll be fine. 
And so the whole time in the thing, I'm talking to her about how all the facts about the roller coaster, how safe she is, how fun it is, all those things. And she's like, and by the end of it, she believed me. She was telling, dad, I believe you. I believe it's fun. I believe it's awesome. I believe I'm safe. I believe all those things, but I am not getting on it. That was her posture. So we get all the way up. She was, and so she didn't say this out loud, but this is what's happening in her head. She believed me the whole way. She didn't think I was lying to her. She believed me the whole way. We get all the way up to the place. And, and when you're with kids, they can, they can walk through and there's a place they can stay while the adult rides. They can kind of stay there. This is before, I guess before it was like not safe to do that. Sounds really weird to leave your kid there. I'm like, I didn't leave my kid with a stranger. So anyway, we get there and I'm going in first and we get to the thing and she goes, dad, let me through. I'm not riding. I said, yes, you are. Sit down. She just sat down, pulled the thing down and she rode the roller coaster. And she's like, that was the most fun I have. It was just, it was everything you said it was. I was like, I told you, right? That's to take hold. That's to take hold. The way the Bible talks about this and Paul writes this, he says, we, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. We take hold of this in such a way that it takes over to receive, to believe. So there's a new season that we are about to enter into. This is the end of summer. I know it doesn't feel like that. We're about to go back to school and there's a lot to be about. A lot of things about the school year that are gonna be up in the air. We're gonna be fighting about masks. We're gonna be fighting about all kinds of things we're gonna be fighting about and lots of fun to be had in this world, let me tell you. But I'm telling you, there is a season that is coming that is available to you if, if you will fix your eyes on it. If you will decide that you're going to draw life from a different source than what everything else is going to push you to do. And this is a real thing. This isn't pie in the sky stuff. This is my experience. Part of the thing I love about leading a church like Port City is it is crazy. It is chaotic. It is challenging. It is demanding. It is fun. It is hard. I, I do not need anything else to do. I can assure you. I do not. I have a lot of things that pull at me. A lot of things that I love, right? I, I feel very, very fortunate to get through what I do. But I say that because I don't just sit in my office with my legs crossed and my arms in the air and just, and go, oh man, Lord. Like there's real stuff that has to be done. I feel real pressure. And what I want to tell you is that what I have learned, and I started years and years and years and years and years ago, to seek first God's kingdom started as looking for anchovy paste in the grocery store. Now has become, God, what's happening now? Where am I drawing life now? How am I gonna affect this now? How can I pray for this now? What's happening here now? I'm learning to see things so differently. And I don't wanna sound like I'm super spiritual because I'm not. It only took me about 20 years to figure this out or to begin to figure this out. And I always joke, and, and, I, and what I'm gonna tell you to do, and this is, this is what I've done since I was 15 years old. I just decided that I was going to arrange my life in order to see something that perhaps I don't yet fully see. So I began to read my Bible, not perfectly, not every day. I began to keep a journal, and you've heard me talk about this. I would keep a journal, I would keep a journal, I would keep a journal. Do I need to say it again? I would keep a journal. I'm telling you because there are so many things that you begin to see and sense and understand. 
And I started doing this. It was literally like, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I'd write that in my journal. There is a river whose, glad, whose streams make glad the city of God. What is the city of God? And what in the world does this have to do with it, right? Just questions. God, help me to be that kind of stream, whatever it would be. And for, you know, for a long time, I used to keep streaks to see how long I do my quiet time, how many days in a row I could do my quiet time. Sometimes it was two days in a row, then I'd be like five days off. And then it would be three days on, I'd be like a month off. And then, I mean, it, that's how it was. And I just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And the good news is this. Now I do my quiet time as though my life depends on it because I actually believe that it does. My time with the Lord, I do it as though my life depends on it because I believe it actually does. I know what kind of person I become. I know where I draw life from when I am not drawing life from him. I know that well about me. I've just decided that's not who I want to be. That's not how I want to live. So I've arranged my life for this. Here's the good news. It only took me 15 years for that to become a habit. So most people that I know haven't tried anything for 15 years. So if you ain't there yet, you still got time, right? This is good news for all of us. You just stay after it and you stay after it and you stay after it and you stay after it. The reason is because what you are seeking you are likely to find. If you are seeking to be offended, if you are seeking your pet issue, if you are seeking people to not believe or think like you, if you are seeking to advance your cause, you are always going to find those things. And Jesus says, there's a different way for us to live. You seek first his kingdom. You know why? Because it's always available. And even more importantly is when you seek first, when you drink from his fountain, when you live like this, out of your life pours the life and the hope and the beauty that everybody around you desperately needs. Desperately needs. This is why the gospel matters. So here's what I would tell you, and then we're gonna kind of close with a, with a, with a moment and um, hopefully this will just give us a chance to align ourselves. I have, and it's been about a nine year journey I have just decided I'm gonna saturate myself in the gospel. I feel tons of pressure to know everything about the Bible because I get asked all kinds of questions. I have landed in the gospels over and over and over and specifically in a couple of really specific passages that have just been kind of fueling this. I've just saturated myself in, Lord, what is your kingdom? How is it that I learned to live in the kingdom? How is it that I advance your kingdom? How is it that I become like yeast? How is it I become light, like light? How is it I find this to be a treasure that is worth selling everything and pursuing at all costs? How do I learn this? And I've just asked and I've, I seek and I knock. I've just done this relentlessly. I've tried to arrange my life in order to make sure that I don't miss those times with the Lord. It's not always easy, I have three, two kids, right? It's crazy, you have to get up before them, it's, it's hard. Sometimes you get like three minutes in the car, that's all you get because your kids are nuts, right? I get it, I've done all that. But I just, I just arranged, every season I arranged my life in order to make this happen. I tried to avail myself. There are things that I struggle with, temptations that still get me. I said, Lord, let me, avail, let me, let me be a vessel that is wholly available for you in this moment. Because what you want to fill me with, the life that I want to draw from you, when I'm tempted to draw from somewhere else, if I draw from you, I know that my life is then going to produce the life that I was made for. That's what I'm talking about. There are people around you 
who don't need good advice. They don't need wise counsel. They need the very life for which they have been made. And it flows out of you only as you drink deeply. As you live out the way in which you have been reborn. That's what I want for us to get. That's what I want for us to understand. I found that oftentimes my tension, my default, I think it's like this. It's you empty yourself in confession. I come and say, Lord, here's all the crazy things that I think, the things that make me mad. Here's the sins I struggle with. Here's the sins I enjoy. Y'all got any of those? And I just sit down and, I, and I've, I've learned that my default is to pull away from him until I can either adjust my motives or justify my behaviors or rationalize this. And then I'll bring my arguments to him. And I've learned that doesn't work. I just show up. He just said, come and drink, just like I am. So I show up with all my wonk. I show up with all my you know, crazy thoughts. I show up with all, I say, God, here, here's everything. And what I find is in his presence, he has a way of just emptying me. And this is what confession is, to confess and repent. Lord, I do not want to draw life from any other source. I want to draw life from you. And Lord, these things keep me from that. These things give me life and produce things in me that aren't consistent with who I'm created to be. And that's an act of confession. And then what I've learned, this may be even the most beautiful thing I've learned about confession, is it's not just listing out the things you've done wrong. It's listing out the things you want to believe. God, I want to believe that you are good. So I confess you are good. God, I want to believe that you are faithful. So I confess that you are faithful. I start projecting and declaring and saying, I know these things are true about you and I'm gonna confess them out loud. We're gonna do that in just a moment. There's another picture that Jesus gives us. It's interesting. He gives us all these, these metaphors to drink and to eat and to take in and to receive and to believe. And one of the other ones he says in John, he uses the analogy of a vine and a branch. And he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Remain in me and I will remain in him. And then you will produce this life that becomes nourishment and beauty in the world around you. I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. If we remain in him, he says, we will bear much fruit, but apart from him, we're just gonna keep chasing. So I invite you to just kind of sit where you are. I'm gonna do it here. And I just open my hands and close my eyes. And I just want you to consider where it is that you draw life from, like really. And you don't have to say Jesus because you're in church, I get it. And what I don't want you to do is to feel bad about where you're drawing life from. What I want for you to do is to confess where you draw life from and say, Lord, this is where I'm tempted to do it. It's in my success. It's in my capacity to get things done. For some of you, you can't draw life from anywhere because you feel so dry and alone. And he says, oh, love the, let the Spirit be poured out on you to nourish and to saturate and to drink. So all these things are here and available to remain. And then we confess, Lord, this isn't about us being better or working harder. And this is the hardest thing to believe, but it's about receiving and trusting what you have done, that we 
depend on you. I want us to make that confession. Father, amid all of our crazy, stubbornness, insecurity, fear, whatever it is, arrogance in some cases, I pray that right now we would all just sort of make this confession as we hold our hands out to receive, to drink. We would remain in you. Our daily bread, our sustenance, and make this confession that that we depend on you. God, that from that we would drink deep and out of the depths, your life would flow and there would be streams that bring hope and healing to the world around us. And so I lift this to you in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king and whose kingdom we seek first. I want to invite you to stand as we close our time together.